Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is Housing Wire Senior Mortgage Reporter, Georgia Cromrie, who covers the federal beat for us. And wow, there's been so much news this week from DC. Georgia, welcome to Housing Wire Daily. Thanks, Sarah. So good to have you on. You know, so we just had a small lull over the holidays, right, when it comes to news. But this week, the FHFA in particular has been really busy. So one of the biggest stories you reported on is their decision to hike fees for high balance loans or investment property loans that are sold to Fannie and Freddie. Can you give us a recap of what they did there? Yeah, so um, the changes actually won't take place until April, which um, was really welcome news for the mortgage industry. Um, I mean, this is kind of similar to the changes that were made really abruptly last year in the PSPA agreements with the Treasury, if you remember. So there were those caps on high balance loans, loans, and and second home loans. Um, so so these are these are fees, not caps, um, and they change based on the loan to value ratio. So for high balance loans, the fees are going to increase 0.25% to 0.75%. And for second home loans, um, they're going up between 1.125% and 3.875%. So the bottom line is that the industry is just really happy that this is that they have some lead time to change their rate sheets, that they have, have some time to adjust, that this isn't like an overnight change because when that happened um, last year with the caps, it just like set off a mad scramble to find something to do with all these loans that were already in the pipeline. So, um, so yeah, that, that was the, um, the, the, the big news this week um, from FHFA, but they also um, quietly um, uh, rejected the duty to serve plans from the GSEs. Um, they were supposed to go into effect already. They had proposed them um, back in last last um, last May, um, but uh, FHFA apparently has some problems with them. Um, we're not sure what the problems are. They declined to say. They don't want to. They sort of don't want to like muddy the water during the um, resubmission process. But both the GSEs have to go back to the drawing board on them. So um, that should be pretty interesting as well. I thought that was pretty extraordinary, really, um, because you would think that they had vetted that with them ahead of time. Like, it doesn't seem like the public process of of submitting them should happen until there's been sign off or buy off, right? Buy in um, at, at a more, you know, intra just personal level of like, you know, someone has vetted it with them like that. Does this does this meet it? I mean, to to submit them and then have the FHFA be like, no, you missed the mark. Go back. Seems like it just seems unusual. Right, right. It is very unusual. Yeah, yeah. Technically, it's the first time that they've ever rejected their plans, but that's sort. Of, it's sort of not fair to say that because there's only been one duty to serve cycle. So it's like one of you know one of the two cycles um, they've rejected them. But yeah, it's it's after a seven month process where. Um, 
FHFA had listening sessions. Um, they've had all this time to look at the plans. There, there have been, um, there's, there's, there's been um, really outspoken advocacy around the plans um, from affordable housing groups. They have, um, they since October have been urging FHFA to hit pause on the plan. So it's kind of, it, it, yeah, it raises questions for me. Um, why did they wait until you know the plans were supposed to already be in place to tell the GSEs that they need to go back and resubmit? Um, but but again, we have no idea what their um, what, what their problems with the um, the actual plans are. Again, the so the plans, if if people don't know, um the the uh Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have to um this is this is from federal law. There's a statute that mandates that they need to help households on moderate, low, or very low incomes um, by setting a plan every three years. That's the duty to serve plan um, to provide liquidity um, for manufactured rural and affordable housing preservation. You know, the manufactured uh, housing part is really interesting. So when I started at Housing Where, it's been, you know, almost nine years, like it just wasn't a big part of um, what was on on the docket. I mean, people just didn't talk about it. We've had we've had some movement there um, even this year, right back in September. Um, the Biden administration rolled out an initiative to take tangible steps to increase the supply of affordable housing um, and also uh, just, you know, talking to the GSEs about about how to accept those loans. So that whole part of the housing industry has gotten more attention, in my opinion, in the last couple of years than it ever did. And I think, you know, with the short supply of existing homes like stick built homes, not what we think of as manufactured homes, I think I think that's probably spurring some of that. Yeah, and and there's there's certainly so advocates are 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 um, have have asked the GSEs to do more in manufactured housing, and one of the areas that they've um, that they've focused on is um, chattel loans, so loans that are titled as personal property. Most manufactured houses are not um, are are not titled like like normal houses. They're um, you know the loans on them are are, are more similar to um, to auto loans or you know other kinds of personal property loans, and. And the GSEs don't um, uh, don't buy those loans. There was a pilot program um, in development to um, I, I think I think it was Fannie Mae. It could have been um, Freddie Mac. If, um, um, but there there was a there was they were working on a pilot program to um, to purchase chattel loans. Those loans titled as personal property, but it was abruptly halted a, a few years ago. The the circumstances around that are kind of murky. But um, yeah, it's a it's a question whether the whether the GSEs should be buying those kinds of loans that you know, especially the the most affordable manufactured homes are um, are titled as personal property. You know, and they um, according to some uh, a story we did earlier this year, like twenty two million people live in manufactured homes, which is a lot. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it just feels like the duty to serve and the, you know, the, um, the action that FHFA took to increase the fees on those, you know, either, um, the high value loans or the investment properties, the second homes. I mean, it's all related because those fees, you know, in their, in their, uh, when they talk about why they did it, it's back to, I mean, here's the quote, these targeted pricing changes will allow the enterprises to better achieve their mission of facilitating equitable and sustainable access to home ownership while improving the regulatory capital position 
Um, so, so really, you know, these two things are tied. They're, they're going to attack They're going to basically have those high, high profile loans pay for some of the, some of the other things that they want to do, uh, or that's the intention it seems. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair interpretation. I do want to point out that um that you know, yeah, yeah, people have stakeholders, observers, people on the inside have said, yes, this definitely sets the stage for deeper cross subsidies, right? For those um those those loan products that are that are riskier. Um so this is, you know, this could be step 1 and then based on, you know, how they're um how they're uh Book of Business looks in in a few months. They they may um, they may uh, um, announce some some additional um, pricing changes. And Sandra Thompson has said um, publicly that um, that that she wants to do a holistic review of um, the GSE's. Um, pricing, which hasn't been done in a while. So, so we have a lot of reasons to believe that, that this is just the first step and that there is more to come. However, I think it's really important to, um, to, to, to look at this move. Um, you know, they, they, the quote, um, the quote from FHFA, they, they made a point of saying that, that these, um, fees won't apply to, um, to, to low down payment programs at, at the GSEs. Of course, a very small amount of second home loans and investor home loans would would fall in, into that category. So it's so so it's it's a quote that perhaps foreshadows future action, but I'm not sure it can tell us much about um, about this specific action. Really interesting. I mean, I I think it really to me shows um, some of the uh, affordable housing advocates. I think have a bigger voice right now. I mean, we think about the fact that, um, you know, in uh, just in October, we had, we, and, and you reported on the fact that 20 housing groups were the ones that said to FHFA, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't accept these duties to serve plans, or at least the, the, the duty to serve that had been put out there for public comment. Um, and, and one of the reasons was around manufactured housing, that it would eliminate programs to purchase manufactured housing loans Titles, personal property, and and reduced loan targets for manufactured housing, as well as affordable housing, and and rural housing. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, no, it it certainly seems like a win for them. Um, although we don't know what the um, yeah we we don't we don't know what um, what the changes FHFA requested are, but I do I do know that those groups are um, they're. They're very happy <laughs> um, right now that that um, that the plans will not go forward, and um, they are actively working with the GSEs to um, make make the the changes that, that they would like. Um, but it's also interesting. So um, so while so during this interim process, while the new plans were supposed to go into effect. Um, you know, the beginning of the year, really, and they have to resubmit the plans. Well, instead of um, continuing with their old plans in the interim period, they're actually, FHFA said that they're actually going to implement the new rejected plans in the meantime. So it's sort of like, we've rejected your plan, but also go ahead with your plan for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so clear that that makes, you know, that that's very, very clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... That's so crazy. You know, um, it, it reminds me when you, when you look at, um, just, uh, towards the end of December, we had the FHFA, you know, tell Freddie Mac, they missed their low income refinance goal because it was less than the wider market 
um, in the number of uh, low-income refis that it had bought. So it, it's interesting. And so Freddie Mac has 45 days to submit a plan to the FHFA uh, fractions it'll take um, to get it back on track, right? So, I mean, the, the GSEs are, are um, I think there's a, a close microscope on them right now. Yeah, I think they're busy. And it also makes me wonder what your um, typical, you know, rank and file employee at the GSEs um, what what they feel right now, you know, what are they what are they thinking? As all of, all of these these um, efforts to um, increase affordability while maintaining safety and soundness, like what? Are, how do they feel about the sort of the the new direction of the GSEs? Are are there some concerns that um, that you know some of the mistakes that that were made in the lead up to the the um, last housing crisis are are going to come back? I think you know there's always going to be those voices that say, that that say you know oh oh no we're opening the credit box again um, and 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 this can't be good. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons why. Um, why there's there's really no comparison in, in underwriting practices, um, but but those you know I, th- I think those um, those questions do keep arising. So it will it will be interesting, particularly I think um, in um, during during um, acting director um, Sandra Thompson's. Uh, confirmation hearing. So she was. So so the other big news that <laughs> happened in the past month is that um, uh, is that Biden nominated um, Sandra Thompson, the acting director, to be permanent director, um, which was I, I found that surprising, just because there is a precedent, a very recent precedent for um, for for an, an acting director at FHFA to stay on for you know. Three, four years. So, so in a sense, it was to me, it was like, well, what's the rush? But, um, but, but she was nominated, and um, I do hear from sources that her confirmation hearing uh, will be coming up um, pretty soon, within the next couple of months. Um, so, it, it it should be interesting. I'm sure that that um, those kinds of questions about um, you know, what is the proper role of the GSEs and, and how, you know, should they be, should they be leading the market, um, on affordability, uh, uh, affordability? Should they be trailing the market? Like what is their, you know, what, what is their proper role? Um, I think, I think that'll come up and it, it should be really interesting. It should be. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting what you said about, you know, what is the, what is the morale of the rank and file? And in some ways I can understand how, if, you know, the people that I've met over the years who are at the GSEs, they they really are tied to the mission, right? The mission of of serving homeownership of of um, but not just homeownership, but you know, of housing, right? Of making housing uh, available, whether that's rent or homeownership, um, is really near and dear to their hearts. You know, so I wonder if having Sandra Thompson, because we, we talked about, I guess it was this time last year. Is it that long ago where there was just sort of a, an exodus of major uh, of the uh, leadership at some of the GSEs? I wonder if Sandra Thompson at FHFA gives them hope for like, we're on a better track where, you know, the mission of of serving um, underserved communities is back intact. I don't know because I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't from anecdotes know enough people who work at the at the GSEs, but I do think it's interesting because people there I think are very mission focused. That's why you go to work at the GSEs and that's why you stay there and why you see people spend their entire careers there. 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, you know, that that was one that I posed to FHFA um, a while ago, and it was sort of like it was, it was too early to tell, right? It's it's much too early to, to, to see if um, if um, Thompson's leadership will um, turn the, the brain drain around. I mean, really, you know, at, at at the at both the GSEs, I think I think you could argue that that they've lost a lot of um, uh, of talent. They've lost a lot of um, of of employees who had institutional knowledge. Um, and yeah, like you said, a large part of why you um, work at the GSEs is the mission, and it's and it's also being able to. Um, people have told me it's it's also important to. Um, you know, be able to feel feel that you can innovate, feel that you can you know find um, find n- new solutions for um, for these these big problems, um, and and you know make it make a positive impact on the the um, housing finance market. So yeah, it, it 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 should be interesting to to see. I I can't say one way or another wh- whether um, you know whether morale has improved at the GSEs in the past. Um, in the past seven or eight months, but, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. You know, we're seeing a, um, a very invigorated uh, federal regulatory environment in general. Right. And, and I I think one of the things that um, we've done so much work on, you've done so much work on is the FHFA's work um, on appraisal bias. You know, they're part of that uh, interagency task force looking at appraisal bias and, I feel like it's exciting to me as someone who's covered the space for a while to see that, you know, really taking off, really getting some attention. We'll, we'll see what the end results are, but it is interesting to see. I know, um, you know, just uh, December 14th, you wrote an article about the FHFA takes a swing at racial bias and appraisals and, uh, you know, what what they're hoping to add to that conversation as part of that interagency task force. So love to have any comments you have on that. Yeah, so I do have a follow up to that story coming pretty soon. Um, so there should be more news on on that front. Sort of, um, you know, not not everyone loved that um, that report, and there's been um, you know quite a bit of pushback from um, from appraisers on that on that report from FHFA. But um, and there should be also more news about the um, the the appraisal task force, they are supposed to issue a report, um, I believe in the next, in the month. Um, so that should be very interesting because it's not just they're they're, they're not just going to be issuing a report sort of diagnosing what they see as the problem. Um, but they're also going to be making policy recommendations and, and they have a mandate to, um, to, to, you know, really make, make some changes. So, so it's not as if we're, we're waiting for, um, just a report. It's, it, it could be, it, it could be substantive, um, changes on the way, um, for the appraisal industry. You know, great, great to hear that the follow-up is coming and it will be interesting to see what those really concrete uh, actions that they're going to recommend look like. We know this is such a thorny issue. I mean, appraiser appraisals in general, it's just, um, it's hard to sort of wrap your your hands around getting to uh, true value because you have so many subjective parts of it. You know, even, even as we try to um, have more, you know, automated valuation models, even as we try to figure out what it is, it's a thorny problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely. And one that, that, that inspires a lot of, um, I, I, I think there's, there's just a lot of emotion in the issue too, because it's, it's hard to hear that federal regulators are, um, you know, trying to diagnose and solve problems in, in your industry. You feel, you, you might feel, um, singled out and, and, you know, quite, quite defensive. Um, and, and so I, I, I think it's been a struggle to make sure that those, um, efforts are, are productive, constructive, um, and not just sort of, you know, uh, appraiser bashing. I think, um, yeah, I, 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 um, there'll be more forthcoming on that, but, um, but I, I think that some appraisers do feel like the report from FHFA was, um, you know, was, was not, was not necessarily fair, was, um, you know, didn't, um, didn't properly situate the data that they presented in any sort of context that it did not, um, provide, you know, any, so, so, so what the, the report, um, what the report did was it, was it showed some examples in free form comment boxes and appraisal reports where appraisers had written things like, um, appraisers had they were cringe. They were cringeworthy they were, they when you read what they what yeah, they, they were they were cringeworthy. Some things were um, you know like like they ref- referenced a, a, a neighborhood being homogenous or you know the the crime in a certain neighborhood or or that that um, you know an, Im- an an immigrant community was there or or you know yeah they were cringeworthy and they should not have been in a, in appraisal reports. But people who are in the appraiser industry who are kind of working with, at the same time, like working with federal regulators to figure out, you know, how are we going to diagnose this problem? What do we do? You know, what is, how extensive is this problem? Say that it's, it's just really not helpful um, to have these examples without any context. Where did, you know, where did these, um, where did these things happen? Were, were these comments made in the last six months or the last six years or back in 2013? Because remember, the GSEs have been getting, um, have, have, have been, um, you know, this, this data has been stored digitally since, you know, um, 2013. Um, so it's not clear what the time period is. It's not clear um, if this was, um, you know, one appraisal firm, one appraisal management company, um, one lender, one kind of transaction, where it happened. Um, you know what what the what what the entire um, comment might have might have been um and also um i have sources who who say that um that the comments may not have been from appraisers but from um real estate agents um who um Oh, that's interesting. So in those freeform comment yeah. areas? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. so, so they say that lenders typically, uh, or that, or that some lenders um, ask for um, the the real estate listing to be included in the appraisal report, sort of as, as like, you know, accompanying um, supportive documentation um, uh, for when when appraisers are showing what what comps they they chose um, to reach their their value. Um, so the so and the argument is that that the comments were taken not from appraisals comment 
appraiser's comments, but from those listings. So I don't, you know, that that might not hold water, but um, it's also not clear from the report where exactly, you know, what the, what the context was for for um, for those comments that they highlighted. You know, from our perspective, we wish that things were just more open. I mean, the fact that, you know, appraisers wish that the context was given, it's true for so many of this, uh, so many of these stories that we're trying to report on where it's like, if it was just, um, if there was more transparency, it would just be so much more helpful, not just to us as reporters, but the reason that you're reporting on, the reason we're trying to, you know, give information on is because it's, it's, it seems like a black box in, in so many ways. Yeah, that's that is uh, that's that's an app description, and people have called it a black box for sure. Yeah, there's there there have been many um, many calls, and we have and we have also asked for um, for various federal regulators and agencies to to release more data on on appraisals. But I think you know I think we're just going to have to wait and see what the appraisal task force comes out with, um, and go from there. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your reporting so much on this. Um, it's It's been great, and I, I look forward to the things coming out. If people want to reach you as a source, um, how do they do that? Um, you can send me an email at g-k-r-o-m-r-e-i at housingwire.com. Awesome, because we know um, you have done a, a great job of source development and have a have contacts throughout the the federal um, agencies and departments that are that are uh, over housing. So, Georgia, thanks so much. Great work, and we look forward to seeing what's next. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022, or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingware.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great weekend. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk each and every day. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. We'll see you back here on Monday.